Hello, and welcome to the Young Musician's Guide podcast. I am your host, Aaron Campbell. And if you are new to this podcast, welcome. If you used to listen to this podcast back when I used to record it, welcome back. Uh, We've been on a little bit of a hiatus, and uh, I'm really excited to actually have the podcast back. Long story short, essentially, I lost the means to be able to record it. And uh, now I've acquired some new technology and things are going to make it a little bit easier. So hopefully we're going to be able to get new podcasts to you on a fairly regular basis. Uh, There is a schedule. So if you are curious in finding that schedule and who is going to be on what episode, I try my best to announce those ahead of time uh on the young musicians guide podcast the tab on my website for this podcast now if you are a patreon patron you're actually going to get a free bonus as well as you're going to get these episodes early so the new way i'm kind of doing this and i'm only going to talk about the patreon on the very first episode of the month uh if you are a patreon member you will get the the podcast a week before it it launches uh to everybody and then you will also get a free reflection podcast where i just kind of talk about the episode and some of the things i took away it's not super long but it's a little bit of a bonus so if you're interested in helping me and helping this thing uh kind of move forward consider joining the patreon uh links are for for that are down below Also, if you are listening to this podcast uh, and not watching it on YouTube, I do have a way for you to watch. I I started recording the screens for the internet call. Nothing fancy. It's just, you know, just two talking heads. But if you want to see that, that is on my YouTube page. Links, again, are in the description or the show notes. But finally, my guest today is Whitney George. She is a composer, conductor. She is a also a college teacher and a PhD candidate. So she's got a lot of irons and a lot of fires and she's working on a lot. And we talk about her balancing those things, her motivation for all those things and working collaboratively with other people. And she gives some really good advice for some people who might want to be involved in really the art in general. Um, So really, really good conversation. Really, really enjoyed it. So with no more ado, here is the conversation I got to have with Whitney George. Yeah, I don't know. So I found you, by the way, I was doing like a practice session and I am one of those terrible people who like to watch and listen to things while I practice. And I was like, you know what? I need to brush up on some like music history stuff. And then I ran into your lectures that you're doing. Is it for like a music appreciation class or what is that for? Yeah, so I teach a music 1300 class at Brooklyn College. I've taught I've taught a, a, that class for a number of years now. I would say, oh gosh, almost 10 years mm-hmm. now that I've taught that class. Um, and it's, it's definitely taken different kinds of manifestations. But um, in general, I like to kind of divide it up into like these specialized topics and um, kind of invest- investigate um, music sort of not not through the lens of like music history, doing things like chronologically. But um, I, like like in my last unit, we do a specialized topic with like the history of video game music and um, talking about like David Lynch in particular and how uh, he uses music in cinema and stuff like that. So um yeah yeah so the music uh 1300 class is what i teach through triple college yeah it, it was really interesting it was really cool to see because i've taken i mean i've ta'd and i've taken those types of music history courses sure. and it's it's just like a like a hit list of like typical western music theory type yep. stuff or mu- music history and so it was really cool yep. to see you diving into like cinema and video games and more yeah more relevant in, in all honesty music especially to i assume most of the people who are taking that class are not majors no that's an it's designed for non-majors specifically yeah. yep which is yep. really cool well so i'm really interested so when i was doing my my research for chatting with you so like a lot of people that i've had on this podcast they kind of like do a thing like they are, you know, a player in an orchestra or they teach at a place or they do this. I cannot, you do so many things that you wear so many hats that we, I could, you could probably have about three or four of your own episodes and we could dive into all the various things that you do. Um, so I'm going to try to niche down a little bit um, and just chat about a couple things. Um, yeah. And so I'm really interested in your the um the new 
music ensemble that you started, the Curiosity sure. Cabinet. Yep. So that's been going on for more than 10 years, right? Oh, yeah. Um, yep. That, that was, wow. Okay, yeah. That, that's been a group that's been around for a while now. Um, I started that when I was a master's student at Brooklyn College. And the way that that really began is like I, I landed here from, uh, from England. I had done some time in between England and uh, California graduated from CalArts, uh, landed in New York, and um, I had a film score that I wanted, uh, wanted to do. I had rescored a late 1920s film to an Edgar Allan Poe uh, recreation, a very uh, surrealist thing from the, the late 1920s. So I put up a little poster that said like, looking for, you know, this chamber ensemble. Um, and that was kind of like the kind of, the very official first beginnings of that, that that project uh, or, or the, the curiosity cabinet. A lot of people that were a part of that very first project ended up being a part of the, um, the, the, the first thing that we did officially as an ensemble, which was called um, a performance of mine called the anatomy of the curiosity cabinet. So I wrote once I sort of had accumulated a group of musicians uh, from a chamber ensemble into kind of a chamber orchestra, I wrote a big piece for them and we, we, Premiered it at uh, premiered it in New York, um, but essentially the the aim of the group beyond just performing my works is to uh, integrate music plus some other discipline. Um, so we do a lot of work with like burlesque artists or aerialists or choreographers or um, things like that with silent film or shadow puppetry or marionette puppetry or um, if we're even doing a concert that is just instrumental music there's definitely there's a narrative that that the, it weaves the entire thing together and I think that's um, thoughtful programming and like sort of integrated arts is, is the the aim of that of that group and also kind of one of the aims of what I do as a composer as well. So there's a lot of, a lot of kind of intersecting, intersecting lines within that group um, um, in terms of being a, a vehicle for performing, but also like that intersecting with composition for me too. So when you formed it, did you have the intent of it being like, was it, did it start as a like one-off concert thing that just kind of spiraled and kept going? Or did you always have the intention of maintaining it throughout? Um, you know, it, well, okay, you, I guess you can't accidentally make a nonprofit. So like, <laughs> uh, it, it requires way too many steps to accidentally, but you know, we had, we had a, a concert and then we started doing more, more things like, um, you know, programming other works beyond mine and um, ended up going through the process of making it a 501c3 so we could end up applying for, for grants and other opportunities. Um, so, uh, I guess initially it started out as just sort of like a small, hey, like, let's get together. But the, the, the people that I accumulated over, um, you know, five or so years ended up being, you know, people that really wanted to play together and, you know, really uh, liked the same kinds of music, the same kinds of projects. Um, so I don't say, I wouldn't say it was an, an accident or, uh, but it, it did kind of snowball out of control. <laughs> in the best kind of way well that's how good projects tend to be is right. i i find or, or they tend to be unintentional um so but you also with that group now get, correct me if i'm wrong but you also conduct that group as well yeah yeah so i came to conducting through composition um i end up i ended up writing uh when i was at cal arts writing compositions that were it just a little bit too complicated because they involved choreographed elements and um, there wasn't really an official conducting major through CalArts um, and you know a, a number of uh, early composition teachers were like you know it's um, it's an important skill to learn how to conduct because uh, practically you might you may need to conduct your own works so uh, it started out as a very practical Thing, but then ended up branching out into doing a number of different um, pieces from the standard 20th century repertoire. And um, the thing that I'm hired most often for now is conducting opera, which is not a huge cry from what I was doing, you know, 10 plus years ago, which is integrating music plus other dramatic mediums. And that's where I really thrive, I think, as like 
a, a person that can kind of connect those those two pieces together really um, effectively and comfortably for performers. Um, I do. I feel like I, I connect really strongly with singers for for whatever reason. I like I like them a lot, even though they are very particular particular people a lot of times. <laughs> um, but the idea that um, that I'm, you know, as a conductor, I'm going to be able to let them do their best work when I am a, am a support system for them. So figuring out how that works within, you know, my arm movements and my persona and stuff like that in the, the pre, pre, um, you know, in the, in the rehearsal process and stuff like so that. You, anyway, you there's treat, like, yeah. You treat the direction more as a collaboration than literal direction? Yeah, I would, I would say so. I'm, and I think that that makes that makes a lot of um, a lot of performers choose like choose directions. I think a, a, a lot a lot more. Um, perhaps one of my other strengths as a conductor is the fact that I do come through it through composition, and so I'm constantly trying to have performers consider the the structure, the layout, the the content of the thing that they're they're recreating because I think that's that's a um, usually a huge hole for 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 people is like you know why are you uncomfortable with this piece it's like do you under do you understand it and usually the answer is no I don't fully understand it so I think that that takes like a kind of composition sensibility not that not that you not everyone has to be a composer but tr you know you do end up really thinking about music a little bit differently when you're on the construction side of it that is really interesting and like it's funny it's funny to chat with somebody who is like a composer who is comfortable with conducting and has been in that seat before um having worked and commissioned my own pieces with composers um like i noticed we have i don't know if he if he's necessarily a friend of yours but i noticed he does follow you on instagram tyler klein uh, uh, i know of of him yes we don't so, know each other in the in the real existence yeah well that's where we are now in these days isn't it <laughs> um so he he was the engineer behind my album and he wrote cool. two of the pieces that were also on my album and there was one tricky thing that he had that i was like tyler you have to conduct this you, there's that's the only yeah. way we're gonna get through it and he was so uncomfortable doing it and yeah. that was the first time i thought as a performer i was like oh yeah that's like not necessarily his gig because i just you always think of like john williams conducting the boston pops and it's just like a thing right not necessarily not particularly um yeah. and you mentioned you direct operas which is the probably the most terrifying thing I think you can do in music, but you've also written, right? You've written. A oh yes, yeah. So like my la latest escapade in opera was a, it happened about a year ago, and I'm so thankful that it happened pre-COVID, right? So um, was a two and a half hour opera uh, based on a grim fairy tale, Princess Milan, that was uh, done for a full two week run at La Mama. Um, ended up conducting it with my ensemble and. Uh, Del Arte commissioned the work, so um, I didn't get to like I didn't do stage direction. That's that, that's not that's not my area. Um, but uh, the librettist and my very good friend B. Goodwin was um, was there was there for that. Now, do they normally? I I just don't know. I I mean, I'm a dumb tuba player, so I sit in the pit and I just take the arms that are being waved at me. Now, do they normally, especially when you're you're you know putting together a brand new project, do they normally? Is the stage director and the the music director are they normally together throughout the rehearsals, or do they share like a shared? You know, is it kind of like an artistic? I don't know, board for lack of a better phrase. I think it was really cool that you know Brittany. B was the librettist and stage director, and I got to be the composer and then also conductor. So we were both a part of like the creation and then a part of the, you know, manis manifestation of that vision. And her as a particular collaborator, she always wanted to know what I had to, what I was seeing visually. Cause there's never, there's never a moment where I'm writing music and I'm like, I see nothing <laughs> like, like I'm, I'm always, I'm always like, it doesn't look black to me. Like it doesn't look like darkness or whatever. It's like, there's, there's things that happen. Like, you know, someone singing a song, I'm, I'm thinking about the room, the atmosphere, what temperature it is. Like, what is that person wearing? Like all the other things that go into that kind of, that, that performance and not to get like too Bogmarian on it or whatever, but I do think that there's something about like the complete and total drama. Um, uh, it, in our initial, like, conception of the work we had 
we had this idea that we wanted to start out the piece. Um, this didn't end up happening for a couple practical reasons, but like where it was like completely dark when you enter the space and it's your, the first scene that you're supposed to be is like daybreak, but where like you were going to get to listen to crickets and there would be cricket boxes kind of all around the space and stuff. So that there's like a feeling of immersion that happens within, uh, within the performance and that the, the performance would close in a kind of particular way. Anyway, that's like a, a weird, like a, acoustic consideration but also a stage direction and Brittany is really inviting of all of those things and I think you know stepping on each other's toes in that that way is where the, some of the most interesting art happens um when you're kind of crossing crossing the lines between uh one genre and another or one one kind of uh, artistic boundary and another so Brittany was really um fun to work with in that in that regard and yeah but, we were constantly in the room all the time together doing it yeah and none of this stuff none of that stuff ever seems to be in a bubble it's not like one thing exists and another thing yeah. exists and they operate completely that's why i don't like a lot of and i understand budgetary reasoning for it but i don't like a lot of times where they just use like a backing track for like musical Same. theater and stuff like that yeah um i, I like you know, I understand it, I guess, on the financial side of things, but man, there's a lot of things that when you're working with a pit orchestra that you can pull off or you can ask for, or you can change or you can cut or you can move. And it, it's nice that you're working in all of those sorts of facets. And so, so you're doing all of these projects. So you're running, you're running, you're composing actively um, to the extent of even composing full on operas, which is like, you know, intellectually, just straining you so you're doing that you're, you're running a nonprofit, uh, or working for it or like working on running a nonprofit, and because i'm sure you're not alone on that i'm sure that you've got help i've got, got a little bit of help yeah for sure yeah. But I'm, I'm the i'm the i'm the leading person if there's ever yeah. a problem where you know if, the, if someone's financially on the line for it it's it's definitely me yeah <laughs> <laughs> and but also and then you're also teaching um yep. So, and then you're also currently a PhD candidate, right? Like, is that still going yeah. on? So yeah, how much, so, how long has that been going on for now? So too long. So like that's been going on about, about as long as the curiosity cabinet has been around. Um, and I, I did, I did my undergraduate in four years. I did my master's in two years and it's taken me, um, I'm, I'm truly in the revision process right now. I should have defended in January, but my committee, um, came up with just like some, you know, I don't want to bl be like, Rah, but like they, they came up with some, some comments last, last minute that they wanted me to address in, in the, the final product. And so um, I'm working on that right now, but I, I honestly, I should be standing in front of my committee in about a month or so. So um, yeah, PhD is wrapping up. Oh, good. Well, early congratulations. I'm sure that'll go Thank well. You. Your, your, so. your, your words terrify. So I start my doctorate in the fall. Oh, uh, no, 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 that's So great. your words are terrifying me a little bit. I've been out no. of, I've been out of academics for, I teach at a university, but I've been out of it for about eight years now. And so I'm actually yeah. genuinely terrified to be a student again. I'm not going to lie. I'm genuinely terrified. So uh, one thing that I, I would say is that um, I, because like I, the coursework I did, um, I, they obviously the coursework sets you up to to take on more rigorous writing assignments and <laughs> a dissertation is kind of analogous to an, an opera in terms of scale and stuff like that and I, I feel like I feel like I took a lot of time off from academic writing and then I was like boom I'm just gonna do a dissertation now so like <laughs> I, I kind of wish I, I maybe had had shortened my length in the in the in the time that I you know have been in the, the program only so that the the coursework would have actually more effectively geared me towards, you know, I, but I, but I was like, Oh no, I got a commission for an opera. I'm going to write an opera. I'm like, I, I, just, I did some other professional things in the, in yeah, the intro. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. I mean, and that's kind of the way doctoral kind of is, is you kind of play by your own professional rules and totally you do what you need to do. And also you're getting a, you, you're doing the PhD. I'm going the DMA route. I'm going the, the, the the I play a big chunk of metal route. That's really where I'm going with mine. Well, you You're on what, a way more intellectual scale. You know what? The, there's a uh, the PhD and DMA differences on a program by program basis can be so minimal. And I think that like ultimately, um, like a DMA, um, I, when it comes to hiring and stuff, I I don't think that's really going to make or break the the the, yeah. the difference. Yeah. yeah. So. No. 
I, I kind of, I, CUNY has been, a, the Graduate Center has been a wonderful place. It, it is incredibly rigorously academic. Um, and I, I think that the, the degree that actually suits what I would, that I am doing would, would have been a more DMA oriented degree. I, I would have been done by this, by, by this point. <laughs> if, I, if it, because usually it's to submit a large composition. that's part, it's part of the, the project. So I've, I've, I can't, I've turned over at this point, many large scale projects, but not the big scale writing. That they want. And not the yeah. one you need. Yeah. So, yeah. So to go into, cause I don't, I don't, I'm not a big fan of doing like an entire biography, but I'm curious because uh, so when you got your bachelor's degree, if you don't mind me asking, what was the bachelor's degree in? Oh, it was in composition. Okay. I, I've had, de I have degrees all the way through in composition. Straight, just all composition yeah. all the way through. Mm -hmm. So like you never, so when you were, you know, 18, 19, leaving high school or whatever, and you're like wow. trying to make that call, what was it? Like, were you flirting with doing like music ed or anything along those lines? Or was it always straight? I want to write music and that's where I want to go. So um, I actually dealt with a lot of uh, performance anxiety when I was in my late teens, uh, so much so that I, I knew I didn't want to be a performer, for sure. I was playing flute and oboe, and like, I, while I loved it, and I really deeply loved music, I, like, it was too anxiety-inducing, and I, it wasn't going to be my calling. So I declared history as a major because the thing that I really loved most um, outside of music was cultural history, which again, maybe not a surprise that I had to te teach me, you know, music thir 1300 and stuff like that. But and you, um, just, so to, did, yeah. just to be clear, you mean like social studies history, not like musicology history. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like it just, just declared like general history, but I, I had always found like when, when I was, because I took a number of like accelerated history classes, AP Euro and AP um, uh, U.S. history. Wow, this is way, way back then. Um, but, and I was always like, just like, give me, like, love the, love reading about it, especially like the kind of cultural considerations that happened alongside of like major political events, etc. So I ended up uh, declaring history as a major, um, but I, I really wanted to, to get a little bit of scholarship money, <laughs> just like everyone else does as an undergraduate, right? So I submitted my composition portfolio to the music school that I, I, I applied, applied to um, uh, CSU Chico, um, initially got into their, their program. Wasn't, you know, it was a place where I was, you know, prepared to do my first two years of undergraduate if I was going to um, just get my kind of common core stuff out of the way and then maybe look to specialize later. But um, sort of famously as it goes, I, I didn't hear from the composition faculty at all. You know, I was like, hey, you know, I auditioned. They wanted me in the orchestra. They would give me some money to play oboe. They needed me in a woodwind quintet. You know, they usually generally need oboes for things. So they, they were going to offer me some money to play oboe. Um, but I hadn't heard back from the composition faculty. Um, so I, I went to the music department to pick up my, my sad portfolio that I was very embarrassed about at this point. Um, and the composition faculty director, David Colson, you know, com composers can be odd sorts. He like kind of comes tumbling out of his office. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like I meant to email you. Like we'd actually really like you in the composition program. Like we would love you to consider changing majors. And like that was all that I needed to hear to completely redirect what I wanted to do. Because I had spent... I got to take a, a theory class when I was 16. And from that point, I spent like almost every spare moment writing stupid music in Sibelius, like Sibelius II that existed at that point or something like that. So that's how that whole problem started. <laughs> I, I, I was just looking for some scholarship money and then ended up completely changing my degree because it's really truly what I loved to do. Man, doesn't that happen to music majors all the time? Right. Uh, so you said you mentioned that you had a composition portfolio. Was it something like were you writing pieces maybe for like a school ensemble? Like had you been asked to write pieces or was it something that like you were just kind of interested in, dabbled in, messed, found a, you know, found a program on a computer that you could do it on? Like how did that kind of flourish? Because it's not often that you have like a 16, 17 year old who goes, yeah, I've got a composition portfolio just laying around. <laughs> 
True. Okay. So the first, when we were in uh, music theory, we had an assignment to like analyze a fugue. And then the next step was to write a fugue, which by the way, as a first composition assignment, what a terrible idea to write a fugue. It's like one of the most intricate counterpoint designs that exists. But we studied Bach's little fugue in G minor. Um, and then we were tasked to try to write like a, a subject and answer component. And so every day after school for like a whole week, I, I, I went on this composition exercise and we were all done with it and I turned it in. And what was interesting was like, I, I just wanted to try it again. I wanted to try the entire exercise over again. I was like, that was kind of like, eh. With the interest, like a few by design, a lot of decisions that you make initially create more decisions for you out the gate. So I was like, hey, like, what if I try making a, another subject answer? And then was like, oh, I, so I created another fugue uh, using our after school music lab, you know, that had Sibelius 2 running on it. And um, eventually after I created a, se a second project was like, you know, what if I look at other instrument, like other kinds of uh, forms? And it just became this, uh, this thing that was quickly, it was very like, it was fascinating to me. I really wanted like it to, to solve this, this puzzle and problem. Um, and I, I spent so much time after school in the music lab that eventually I found a friend who could illegally downloaded Sibelius 2 for me off of like, you know, like some files, like LimeWire or whatever that was happening. You know, it's usually for music, but or did that master. come with a, uh, did that come with that free, what you, I don't know if you remember back, like they used to have this ad, like you would, you would think you were downloading like, I don't know, some red yes. jumpsuit apparatus song and then Bill, yeah. Bill Clinton was like reading a message or yes. something like that. It was always something weird. Yes. Yeah. Um, I that, yeah, I remember like it was a big ask. I was like, hey, like, do you think you could find this program for me? Because it was a couple hundred dollars and there's no way that I could afford it as like a junior in high school. But I like, and hey guys, like man, limited internet back then too. What a, what a thing. Like anyway, so so that's that's how it started. And so the last two years when I was in high school, I just wrote kind of bigger and larger projects. The other thing that I was greatly influenced by was like, you know, PlayStation had come out, not, you know, not to, to place myself in time, but um, video games finally had like some really interesting scores to them. And I was a nerd who played a lot of video games and early Sibelius had sounds that sounded very similar to <laughs> early PlayStation sounds. So I would play these epic games and I would also like write other epic you know soundtracks that could go with with them and would share them with my sister she'd be like that sounds like it could be in zelda you know like be very nerdy things like that so that's that's how it all started which is really embarrassing but yeah well, were there were there any uh particular games that come to mind final fantasy 7 absolutely yeah hands down which is well, crazy no because of course they have the remake right now yeah, and then I'm giving I'm giving a whole talk on video game music tomorrow to yeah about no, this very subject. Yeah, that sounds like no. Well, Nobu Umatsu knows what he's doing. Um, so good. Yeah, I I happen to catch uh, what is it called? Uh, when, whenever they bring the the orchestra around, um, they have that touring oh, show. Oh yes, they do the, 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 one, the world world symphony or, or yeah, you know, that's. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like it distant. Yes, it's, it's like distant worlds. It's a very Square Enix sounding title, even though it has nothing amazing. to do with that company. Um, but Nobu Umatsu was there, and he jumped on stage to sing um, to sing Sephiroth, and just like yes, the one wing angel. Yeah. My 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 fiance is like just like to the side, and she has no idea. And I'm sitting here like me, with me and my friends, like this is. You have no idea how cool this moment is. Um, You're like no, I've nerded out over this for like for internally for decades now. Yes, yep. No, and it and it's it's really cool that like, and I don't think you, like I don't think anything at this point. It, like we grew up with a stigma, I think, about like you know, oh, you video, you think video game music is cool, and it's such a so accepted, right? Like, yeah, I used to be so closeted in, in saying like Howard Shore's Lord of the Ring music is why I probably play the instruments I play now. Um, oh my god, talk about epic brass writing. Holy moly, that stuff doesn't exist like on an orchestral scale until you get to the romantic era. And then it's like, man, this stuff's overplayed now. 
<laughs> well, now and now you're describing why I disliked music history, but we'll talk about that later. Sure, um, yeah. <laughs> but no, and so many of my so many of my students like they say like, hey, like what kind of music do you like? And a lot of them are film, video game. Like they're they're older, they're other mediums, not just like we were talking about with the opera earlier, not just music that exists on its own in a bubble, um, you know. And so. Yeah. And even even to that point of like, you know, even like the marching band nerds who have this like complete visual spectrum of things that, again, don't exist on, on their own bubble. And, and which is really interesting, these complete artworks that you're involved in, you know, and the things that might have inspired you to start writing, how it's, you know, continues to be in the, you know, the back of your recesses of your mind. To, you know, to these Absolutely. to this day. I mean, I mean, you're even adding, and obviously, it had an influence because you're adding it onto these lectures that I saw. You know, sure. On, on. Yeah, absolutely. And it's absolute, and all of these things are absolutely relevant. And so, and it's really easy to like think like, you know, for us to go and play like a a Final Fantasy Seven back in the day, and into. And, and to think, well, oh man, I really want to write video game music and to be completely shot down, like to be like, N that can never happen. You like, there's too many people. Um, and so here, you know, here you are sitting here, you know, irons, so many fires, all that sort of a thing. Like what, if you could, I assume that this was not a straight path. Like I decided this and I did these things like, and here I am today. So for somebody who's interested in doing sort of the things you're doing, especially leading new music ensembles or, you know, or, or composing new music and being parts of new projects. Um, what, what would you say to those people, like 17, 18 year olds trying to figure it out, which is a lot, I know, but advice you could give yourself back in the day. Um, advice that I would give myself back in the day is like school is not the only place to network with people um, and that like a lot of it has to do with like location, 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 location. Um, and I, I definitely, I, I knew that and I'm, I guess, it, you know, I'm one to speak right now because I'm still very heavily imbued in academia right now. But like I, I feel like the location that I'm, I'm in while school was like a good connecting piece. Like that you can make those connections beyond school. Um, so, yeah, and it's, it's, it, it's about being at concerts. It's about like supporting people. It's about finding the kind of like thing that you're interested in running alongside those, those people. Um, the other thing that I would say, especially for people who are starting out in their, in their early 20s or getting into it is like loyalty is really important. Um, the people that have been with my project since the get-go, I still hire them. They have been with me since I had absolutely no money. Um, and they, like, you know, my flute player, Lindsay, she definitely, um, she's more heavily geared towards musicology now, um, but she really enjoys playing her instrument. And she knows because she's, she's not like a dedicated, uh, DMA performer in her instrument that like technical prowess isn't like it's not her thing but that that doesn't that's not that's that doesn't matter it's about someone who understands like the construction of your music or understands like the vision of your project it's not just about being the best on your instrument and that's kind of like where loyalty extends where like if someone's really seeing what you're doing and understanding you like that you should treat that person very preciously um, there's a, I, I found like a, a lot, at, at least in New York, a lot of kind of trading up the idea like, oh, someone's better. So we're just going to like go with this person. And I think that's like, that's not the right way to, to do it. Um, and you don't make any really good friends doing things that way. And that there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that you need to do for the community in order to get back from the community. So just making sure that like you, you nourish the same thing that you're pulling from in a way, or that, you know, stupidly, you, you treat others the way you want to be treated as well. Like you wouldn't want to just be <laughs> discarded and traded up for, but like, you know, so in the, in that regards, like if there was a player that I felt like could, could use work in a particular area, like, because I would usually come through something like through composition, I could write something for that player that really suits that individual, but lets them work on something that they also need to work on to improve. Like, Anyway, so it's about writing for a person as well. And I, I think in terms of, 
if I can extend my advice for composition, stop thinking about writing for, for instruments and start writing for people instead. There's a huge personal connection there. And I think that's, that's what, that's what sometimes like we get real burnt out on is it feels like it's not so personal anymore. So, um, yeah, I don't know. That's a lot of like advice all across, all across the board. You know, I could be like, believe in yourself and like, oh, the other thing is like, it's just tremendous amounts of hard work. It's just tremendous amounts of mind-bogglingly difficult work. And if you refuse to give up, you will eventually make it. I am very, I am very convinced of this, of this thing. I think I am only standing and doing because I like in a weird way refuse to die. So just like refuse to take, refuse to take no for an answer. Like there are definitely performance seasons where I'm like, I'm doing so much stuff and other times where I'm like, hmm, I haven't been that hired, but like there are ebbs and flows, pushes and pulls, like ride them with, you know, your chin up as much as you can. And just like, like perseverance, my Lord, just like in work ethic, just making sure not to give up. I I appreciate the the sentiment of especially the hiring people like or just being consistent with your people. I feel like that would help inform your writing anyway. Like if you're working with a consistent group that's not ever always changing or whatever. And also I just on a performance standpoint standpoint, um I feel like, you know, if you stayed with the same people every single time, that doesn't really do anything to your reputation. But if you're known as somebody who's like you know, you know, we like you hear those rumors about like Dave Brubeck back in the day where you used to hot fire people on spot and stuff like that. Then you become that person and people don't want to yeah. work with you in the first place because they don't want to get one gig and then be traded out for, you know, a newer model or anything like that. And so it, it's, it's great to hear, you know, people involved with these sorts of things thinking that way. Conducting is a really humbling experience because you don't get experience conducting until you're in front of a group doing it. And usually that comes so much later than everyone else has been playing their instruments, right? So like when I was trying to conduct some Stravinsky, like everyone's a master on, a master on their instrument playing Stravinsky, but I'm the one who's attempting to do the thing that I haven't been doing very much at all for very long at all. So the same kind of courtesy that you, at, at this point, like that, that's not how I feel as a conductor, because it's like I've, I've been fairly seasoned at this point, but, at, but that wasn't always the case. And like to, to be, to, rem to always remind yourself that there was a point where you were just starting out and everyone had to be very gracious with, with you. So like to, to just remember where you were at your lowest and treat people in kind like that, yeah. Well, it's one of those things too, like you think about like, you're gonna go meet a new friend or something like a new group of people or something like that. And like, you get nervous. You're like, what if they don't like me? And they're gonna think, and like, you're like micro analyzing everything you do. And it happens to us in, as musicians, you know, you go, like if I go and sub with an orchestra for the first time ever, I'm like every single thing I ever do. Like if I take a drink of water at the wrong time, they're gonna, and you think all of us think that way. The director, yeah. everyone thinks that way. And really the people who are in there, like, like, like you said, once you go through it for a little while, you're, it's, it's such a moot point. Like it's not something anybody thinks about at all whatsoever. Totally. Uh, yeah, but yeah, we, yeah. we become so hyper aware of like all of those things. And it, it's funny you, when you think back to it, the way it goes. Absolutely. How yeah. nervous we were. So, um, so coming up, so what were some things or what are some resources that you have that were like super inspirational, like book, video, anything that kind of helped you, especially when you said like, don't quit or you're like, keep plugging ahead. Um, what were some things that kind of got you through or helped you make the decisions and get you to where you are today? That's a great question. Um, I guess eventually, like when you spend enough time doing this, you do realize that people fall off of doing the thing. And if you recognize that, like the difference between you and them is the fact that you are continuing to try to put one foot forward in, in front of the other, like at that forward motion, like that, that, that ends up being a very motivating factor that you're like, it's like, it's the motion that's important. It's just like, like continue on and like, you will, you will find your balance in that kind of way. Of course, there's other things like, you know, Philip Glass and Steve Reich, who are incredibly famous now, like 
took forever to be freaking famous with, with it, you know, especially, um, uh, Philip Glass, who, you know, was driving a cab for freaking ever and like, you know, funding his own ensemble and like, and that's the, the same kind of idea is like, he had a dedicated group of people that were really, really invested in his kinds of music and like, don't lose those people under, under any circumstance. So like just remind reminding myself that someone who who is hugely influential and like majorly popular and has oodles of money now like like essentially does that same same thing but the payoff didn't come until he was you know I think after he was in his fifties right or at least until after he was in his forties I don't remember well, it's Philip Glass feels old <laughs> well I feel like a career in art is definitely a marathon much more than a sprint. Yeah. I mean, you hear the, the, the 21 year olds who like become, you know, super, super popular, whatever, like they happen, but they are an outlier. They are absolutely an outlier. Um, That's so really boring to me as well. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, man, you peaked at age 20. I was like, that's very boring for you now. And I think that there's, I don't know, there's some weird like celebrity kind of thing that happens. I, I, I think, I think if you peak too early, that's, that's not what life's about. It's, it's gotta be a little bit of struggle. Um, and also just, um, like in terms of things that are inspirational, the place that you live and the, the people that, oh, I don't know why my video just turned off. Um, <laughs> the people that you like, uh, the, the, uh, the people that you surround yourself with, like the artwork that you, um, ingest, like those are all things that, show up in your your work so um i so i, t I teach comp composition um through face the music and one of my really advantage like very proactive students she's like uh i have my lesson in two days like what should i do before our lesson and i wanted to be like ella all i want you to do is like take a walk or like don't worry about a deadline or like 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 paint something or express like mess around with another medium because all all of that has a great impact on what you end up cre creating um so like in a weird way like don't forget to like take the time to smell the roses in a weird way like because the life you lead influences the art you create so if you're not leading an interesting life you're probably not creating interesting art which i find extremely interesting just the person that this is coming from because remember at the the start of this interview i talked about just how many things you are doing sure right? so it would be so easy for you just to fall into work 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 and just not the humanity or the life of things and so sure. for you to be preaching that like even at the busiest of times we need you need to you need to do this like you need to find the human in your life you need to you know, appreciate yourself and where you are and just the better things good food good music like things you know totally but like also because they have elements that that coincide with with composition themselves so like for example i dabble a lot in, in photography and when i'm looking at constructing an image that's no different than constructing a composition that's literally thinking about composition but a visual composition right and so like you're you're using your skill set just like if you were to create a meal like what a what a cool way of thinking about like instrumental timbre in that way that like the different if you're really like really thoughtfully thinking about them like texture and smell and like how that might that that's no different than how you would like color a melody with an orchestra so like all of these things have great influences on one another it's just like make sure not to just be work 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 like ex like try other mediums because they definitely in influence in influence music in some sort of way. And I, it's it's funny that you mentioned the like how to ex dis describe timbre with food. So I'm I live in the South. I'm in Florida, and uh, we have a lot of band directors who are not little people. I'll say I'll sure. say it. And man, yeah, yeah. they use they use food to describe everything. Oh, do they really? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like big old Southern boys who like they will talk about like that's the difference between tea and sweet tea. Like they'll talk like they will talk that way. It's hilarious. And you can tell the closer you are to lunch with how much their metaphors were. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. I love that. Um, and it, it's funny because here in Tampa, we have a lot of food options. And there's a lot of composers who have titles of music that are named after. Oh, my God. Foods. How hysterical. I love uh, it. I love it. <laughs> well, hey, uh, 
thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and chatting with me today. I really appreciate it. Is there any like final thing you want to share or any advice you want to give uh, to younger people who might be interested in doing the types of things that you are doing now? Again, like I, I will reiterate the idea of work, work ethic. Um, um, I, as a composer, like I, and it's been a little bit weird during quarantine in terms of feeling like a little off for creativity, but like putting in daily practice into your craft is really important. Um, even if you're not thinking that you're creating something particularly revolutionary, um, going through the exercises of the, and the motion, it's like, it's a, it's a muscle, you know, just like the, the, the academic writing that I was talking about. Like if you exercise that muscle, like it becomes more regular to use. And so, you know, if you, if you're a composer and you, you're like, I want to take on bigger projects, like the, the thing is like, try writing every day. Um, try writing like at a specific time every day, like some sort of routine is really helpful for people. Find out, and your routine also changes, um, which is very cool. I used to be like only an exclusive night owl com com composer. I would only, you know, write effectively from the hours of 9 p.m. to like 3 a.m. in the summer or something like that. But, you know, now I, I try to switch to the first thing I do when I wake up is I try to write some music. So um, regularity, like, and, you know, treating, treating, the honoring the craft that you are uh, practicing by literally doing doing that um, by making a sort of ritual out of it. Um, I think that if you're really looking to be a better composer, like yeah, study study music and stuff like that. But regimented scheduling on on writing is is actually I think really really effective. <laughs> Awesome. So where can, if anybody wants to follow up with you, where can they find you? Um, so the best place to find me, um, I, because I am me and do so many different things, um, sometimes my website is a little bit out of date, but hopefully that will be fixed soon. So my website generally has like what I'm up to. You can buy music on there. Uh, if you, it, if you want to see the opera that we were talking about, YouTube. The whole thing is on YouTube for you to see if you wish. Um, and my sound SoundCloud has oodles and caboodles of recordings um, from the numbers of years I've been at it. Um, so the, curio the Curiosity Cabinet also has a website uh, hooked up to our SoundCloud as well. So you can explore both of those avenues. Awesome. Well, hey, thank you again so much for coming on and having this chat with me. I really appreciate it. Of course. It. Of course. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Hello, everybody. Hey, uh, Patreon th people, thank you so much for this. Uh, if you are not a Patreon person, you are actually uh, getting a special treat. So I decided to add in my reflection podcast or the, you know, just a little reflection on the podcast to today's episode. This normally would not be available to everybody, but I am making it available to everyone else. Normally though, this is just available to the Patreon patron. So let's talk a little, let's unfold a little bit of what Whitney said. Uh, there are three things that she hit on that I really want to chat about here. Uh, the very first thing that I want to mention is, is, she seemed in our conversation to have a really good sense of the work ethic and the tenacity and a lot of times the the stubbornness that it takes to have a career in art and it's really cool to hear her talk about that because it's not it's not necessarily easy it's not going to be easy and you're not going to be like making tons of money all the time like it's not about that but but creating the art working with people doing the things you love and working hard to make those things happen, that's that's why we do it. Like, yes, you need to make food and live indoors and stuff like that, but like, just because things are rough doesn't mean you need to stop. And ju just because you're thinking about stopping doesn't mean you're a bad person. I wish that somebody told me that it's okay to feel like you can quit or to feel like you want to quit, I should say. Um, the amount of times that I thought I should just go on and get another job, get something else, do something different. Um, and it just, you know, I just kept sticking it out and I keep sticking out even to this day. I mean, those thoughts don't necessarily go away. And I'm really glad she said something. I'm really glad she mentioned it. And she mentioned just like, keep working and keep busting your butt. Um, I really appreciated that. 
Now, the second thing that she mentioned that I really liked was the working with and collaborating with musicians as opposed to like directing them. And I think that's a really good way to look at the art in general um, as working with people. And she mentioned like, she will always try to be loyal and hire the same people every single time as opposed to like trying to like hire up as she mentioned. And I think that's a really big deal because not a lot of people see it that way. They always try to like make it better, make it better, make it better. And one, I would argue that if you maintain the same people all the time, they're going to get better. Even if they're not getting necessarily better you're at their particular instrument, they are going to be getting better at what they're doing for you. Um, and how to play your music or how to work with you. So I would argue that as well. But also, it just makes you look like a better person and it makes you look like a better run, like she runs a nonprofit. It makes you look like somebody, a better person for that situation. Um, and like, yes, it might be really interesting to kind of like try to get a better person or somebody you think might work better with you. But in all honesty, it's better to just be consistent and be a loyal person. And that will get you a better reputation than being somebody who just, you know, fires and hires all the time. And then the last thing she talked about, which I really do want to mention, <sighs> she, I, I led her into talk saying, when she said PlayStation one, I had a good feeling that it was Final Fantasy. Like I had a really good feeling that it was Final Fantasy seven. I didn't want to like go out and say, was it Final Fantasy seven? But it, I was really hopeful that it was. Um, she, I, I led her into that because it was also influential to me and uh, it's a very special soundtrack to me. And it was really cool to see, you know, to be able to connect to her on that. And, you know, even, and she said it was like silly and all this kind of stuff, but that like we had this like mutual bond and this mutual conversation. I talked about how much I like, like the Lord of the Rings thing. And like, it really was this like oppressive, like at one point you should feel bad about like not liking certain levels of academic music and stuff like that. You shouldn't feel like that anymore. You, there's no reason to ever had felt like that in the first place. But nowadays I feel like, artists are so open and so inviting to like all forms of art. And just because you don't listen to a certain thing or you don't, uh, you don't participate in a certain thing uh, in terms of like a niches of music or whatever, like don't feel like that makes you less of a musician. In, in a lot of ways, it probably makes you more of a musician for doing some things differently than other people do. Um, embrace the things that make you you. Embrace the things you like. Um, it, you, you know, she might, you know, if it wasn't for that soundtrack, who knows what she, where she would be now. You know, and if it wasn't for some other soundtracks, like for me, like it was Lord of the Rings, you know, I wouldn't, I'm, I probably wouldn't be playing the instruments I'm playing, you know? So keep, you know, keep in mind, like keep yourself in mind, the things you like, you like for a reason. And it's, it's great that you like those things and be excited about those things. And I'm so glad we got to have that, like she and I like legitimately connected over those things. And, um, that was one of the most interesting, I mean, all of her lectures were very interesting, but that was the most interesting lecture of hers I listened to on her YouTube page was the one where she talked about video game music. Cause you could tell there's a, there, you know, there's a deep seated passion for that stuff and it's cool. Um, so I really appreciated that. But anyways, those are my reflections on this little thing. Um, let me know what you guys think. This is the first reflections episode. So let me think, let me know what you think about the reflection stuff, kind of getting my thoughts on the conversation that we just had, some of the things I took away from it. I, I will always, I essentially hang up the phone, think about it for about a half hour, and then I come back and I record this. So let me know what you think about this. And um, we will be having uh, Courtney Jones, who is the trumpet professor, at the at Florida Atlantic University in Boca, uh, as well as he does, just obviously he does just so many other things. I don't ever have anybody on this podcast who just does a thing. Um, but if you're interested in seeing what uh, Courtney has to say, he will be on the next episode in a couple weeks. So look forward to that. But anyway, again, my name's Aaron. Reminding you, be happy, never satisfied.